Hey, y'all, welcome to the Merry Christmas 2020 edition of Marty Smith's America. This is volume 100-something. And we got an awesome show for you guys this week. It's awesome to be back. I'm thrilled to get to break down the inaugural Myrtle Beach Bowl extravaganza with my yeah. boy Ryan McGee. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. Uh, and it was an extravaganza. We have much to discuss and much to break down. And on top of that, it just came to my attention out of nowhere that there's actually a Richard Petty whiskey. We're going to have to discuss <laughs> that, which I'm a little floored. Uh, it's just now I just found out about this. So I'm still processing the information. We'll get into that in just a moment. But first, and I also can't wait to listen to this, guys. 30 for 30 Podcasts presents March 11th, 2020. It's a standalone audio documentary that tells the story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became very real. As told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely on archival and exclusive interviews, including Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci, March 11th, 2020 will tell the story of a day that started in one reality and ended in a new one. 30 for 30 Podcasts presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. What were you doing that day? Uh, I was in the truck. All right, so you and I were supposed to do Marty and McGee at the SEC basketball tournament. And I was in the big red truck and was all about to take the airport exit to get on a plane and fly to Nashville. And we were doing the show like later that day. And I got the call that said, they're about to cancel the SEC basketball tournament, turn around and go home. Okay. So I got up back on 45, went back toward the house and then Bristol, Connecticut called and said, where are you? And I said, I am going home. I was going to Nashville. And they said, go to Atlanta because NASCAR is the last sport left standing and they're still going to race on Sunday. Great. So I did a U-turn and I started back south again on 85 and I got about 10 minutes down the road and they called and they said, never mind, NASCAR just canceled it too. So I turned it back around and drove it back to the house. So it, yeah. it was, it was the most, it was the craziest 45 minutes. It was a very odd day. I was in Nashville already for the SEC basketball tournament because uh, with Carl Ravitch and Jimmy Dykes, I was set to broadcast that basketball tournament as the sideline reporter. And I will never forget the dinner we had the night before. It was a Wednesday night. And I was at dinner with Ravi and Jimmy and Derek Mobley and Scott Matthews, uh, our producer and, and director. And, and we're just sitting around this huge round table at a restaurant in Nashville that was, I don't know, 80 floors up, whatever. It was way high up in the air, 40 floors up or something. One of those kind of sky top, rooftop restaurants. And we're waiting on our menus. And Jimmy Dykes is reading, scrolling through Twitter on his phone. And, of course, the constant conversation had been, what is this? What is COVID? Jimmy looks up from his phone, looks at Ravi, looks across the table at me, looks at D-Mob and Scotty and goes, Rudy Gobert just tested positive. That was it. And we, we were just like, oh, what? And, of course, ultimately – Adam Silver shuts the NBA down, and then it just fell like dominoes. I'll never forget the next morning, standing in the Bridgestone Arena, I got there early to interview Rick Barnes, Ryan McGee's Tennessee Volunteers head yep. men's basketball coach, who's a great man. And he was very adamant with me during the interview that I did that we shouldn't even be there. Right. He's like, this thing's real, man. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't even know what we're playing for because my questioning was, what's your perspective on how it's going to be to play in front of no fans? Right. This was going to be one of the first experiences where there were no fans. Yeah. And, and he was like, I don't even – he's like, we shouldn't even be here. Well, it wasn't another 20 minutes later that 
Greg Sankey and the Southeastern Conference canceled the men's basketball tournament. And then right after that, they canceled the NCAA basketball tournament. And it was just colossal. It was a day. I'll never forget standing on the basketball floor. They had, because it was such, you know, unbelievable breaking news, they immediately came to us on SportsCenter and Ravi and Jimmy did a live shot and they're in the middle of the live shot and Sankey walks in and, and then they interview Greg about the decision and what he was managing. And I'll never forget standing there on that basketball floor after that and looking over to my right after they got done, I still had one more live shot to do. Standing there waiting on my live shot and I looked all the way down the floor and I saw Commissioner Sankey sitting all by himself in one of the floor seats in the end zone in his phone with, with his, his head in one hand and just staring at his phone with the other hand. Yeah. And, and what he was managing just then, that ain't in the playbook. No, for anybody. And, and that's what, you know, the conversations that you and I have had with like Steve Phelps, president of NASCAR, and Steve O'Donnell, who essentially is the operations guy for NASCAR, and talking to all of my friends that run minor league baseball teams. And, and there, there's not a playbook for any of it. And then, you know, you think about what we were all going through personally. Like, I remember my first reaction was, well, NASCAR will race next weekend. Or, you know what, they'll make these tournaments. And the SEC, SEC actually entertained the idea of, could play in a tournament. You know what? We would, we would play this tournament, regardless of what the NCAA is going to do. And I think at that point, everybody, I mean, the McGee spring break trip to Hawaii. You know, I remember telling my wife and daughter, yeah, you know what? It, that's still, that's still almost two months away. Let, let's just, you know, the, everything will change. This is going to be that bad because that's kind of what we've been sold. And so everybody was thinking this is going to be a bump in the road. And of course, you know, we realized, you know, every single day got worse after that. Yeah, and it same. felt that way for a long time. And so imagine being a Sankey, a commissioner of a Power Five conference, or just uh, just being a coach of a, of, a, of a professional sports team, and all of a sudden, not only are you not playing, you don't have any idea when you're going to play again. And it just was uh, – I remember, I remember the, they sent out the email to all the ESPN.com college sports writers. The NCAA <laughs> basketball tournament has been canceled. And then it was all spring sports and championships have been canceled. And I replied all, and I said, reminder, this includes the College World Series, which isn't played until the end of June. And it just was – and there was still was this desperate scramble to try to save it. There was no saving it. It was done. And so I just the denial we all had of, oh, we'll still get so-and-so in. No, yeah. we weren't. And we just didn't – we had no idea at the time. I remember my initial – reaction being this is going to be two weeks or three weeks and we'll be back to normal and here we are nine months later yeah. or something and we've all learned a new normal for now and we all yearn to get back to what was normal like i've said on our television program where we're wallering all over each other at country music shows and ball games and singing dixieland delight in bryant denny stadium and I yearn for that. I can't wait. And it, it's also interesting, and this kind of segues to the next portion of our conversation. You and I both believe this. I will speak for you. If it weren't for Greg Sankey, there wouldn't have been college football. The way that he managed the, the, the timing aspect and was patient and, and forged forward with all of the testing and everything that he's done. And look, I know that, that everyone in leadership positions has insanely difficult decisions to make. But he was so measured in the way that he operated, uh, I will go to the rest of my life saying that that his approach saved the 2020 college football season. And I texted him last or last weekend. Was it last weekend when the conference championships were? Yes. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. Golly, I, it's so hard to keep stuff straight. I texted him Saturday morning. 
And I said, we made it. I, I don't know how we made it, but I, I truly believe that the way that you approached this was such an important, vital approach. And it's one of the main reasons why we're here today playing college football conference championship games. And, and we'll look ahead to the who got in to the, to, to the college football playoff in a minute. But first, we have to discuss the first bowl game of 2020. Oh, yeah. yep. The inaugural Myrtle Beach Bowl. Yep. Any of you guys who watch our television program, listen to our radio program, watched the bowl game the other day, know we, uh, they wanted us to use the word lobbied. The word was pestered. Right. We were like petulant children. Yeah. In the fact that we should be the broadcast team for the inaugural Myrtle Beach Bowl. We didn't win that battle, but we won a battle. We got to be part of the broadcast team on the sidelines. McGee took the North Texas Mean Green. I had the Appalachian State Mountaineers. And we basically, once it became a complete runaway, turned it into a Marty and McGee program. Yeah. It was um it was big fun. And and I as far what was interesting was um our producer rick was like well could you guys provide us with some evidence of you know your immediate like begging to do the game and i went and found it and the press release for the myrtle beach bowl went out around noon on uh i'm looking at the date here on november around 3 p.m on november 13th at 302 i tweeted uh, Marty McGee should do this game, like that, that, like, like like it was literally two minutes after the announcement of the game. So it was um it was a two year process of as you said in the open, wearing them down. But man, it was it was so much fun. It was and it was a blast. What I loved is the fact that we kind of jokingly made fun of, I mean, you know, being Myrtle Beach and airbrush t shirts and saltwater taffy and Mother Fletcher's and all the places I used to go when I was in high school. And the Myrtle Beach Bowl people 100% embraced it. Like, yeah, I kind of yeah. waited on them to go quit making – get the corporate email, quit making fun of this. Yeah. And instead, they honestly, I think, wish they had leaned into it more than they did because they had those airbrush T-shirts they gave us, you know, before the game, and I think they realized they should have been selling those things. And, by the way, my daughter has already taken my shirt. I think she's looking at don't know. You, you can't know until you, until you know. Right. And – I was fascinated by once we really, what, maybe two months ago or whatnot, when the bowl schedule started to unfold. And you and I really put that last second push yeah. on trying to be involved in this thing. That's when it really became apparent to me, and I think probably to the bowl folks, how much people gravitate towards those memories and towards what is authentically Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And, yeah, we were making fun of it, but we were making fun of it because we did it. With heart. Yeah, we were making fun of it. We were making yeah, fun of it. Yeah, we're not ourselves. making yeah. fun of it like – we're not making fun of it like, ha, 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 you rednecks. We're making fun of it like, ha, 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 us rednecks. Yeah. And That's who we are. We love it. I yeah. mean, it, it was just it, – it it's, it's always fun to me when that happens. And I think that that was – I think it, you're right. I think it was revelatory to not only the Myrtle Beach Bowl committee, but also to probably Myrtle Beach Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And, and all of the people involved in that. Certainly the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers embraced our yeah. having fun with Myrtle Beach. And so – I loved every bit of it. And I'll tell you when it really became apparent to me um, was when I was down there for the App State game. And I know you experienced, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the Coastal Carolina App State game. And then you experienced the same thing when the BYU game happened, probably on another level because college game. I don't know if you guys saw the open to the bowl. You and I still have to tweet that thing out. Yeah. I haven't go. seen it on yeah. social media. It might have been there, but. Hey, um, hey, hey, dummy. I, it was the stupidest open. Hey, dummy, I tweeted it out from your account. Oh, thank you. I, I didn't know that. Um, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, that whoa, shows whoa, you guys. What did you just say? You just tweeted it out through what? Through, through Marty's account. account. 
So wait, Marty, do you have people? You have social media people? I have Travis and Langdon. He has me. Yes, if, if that counts as people, that's like the lowest rung of people. I have Travis and Laney. And so, so several people have access to my accounts. Uh, CAA has access to my really? accounts. Travis has access to my access to my accounts. My wife has access to my accounts. So yeah, there's a lot going on there, but like, mm. um, I didn't even know that Travis tweeted that. That is a, that's interesting that I don't even know it's on my own Twitter, but Twitter machine, but, um, but yeah, so, so we did this open and it was, we thought it was very funny. Like we, we made it up ourselves on the fly in one minute's time. And, and then we did it. Um, we're leaving, shooting the open, going through this corridor right by the gay dolphin. And this lady and a younger lady and a younger man are walking towards us and then by us as we're walking back to our trucks after the taping. As we go by, we're talking. I don't know if she would have known it was us if we weren't in the middle of a conversation. We had masks on, yeah. et cetera. But this lady turns around. We, we walk by them, and I see her turning around 180 degrees as we're going by, and our backs are to them now, and I yeah. hear her go, Oh, my God. Yeah. It's this. It's you guys. And it was – what was her name? I'm so sorry. I forget. Sorry, it was the owner of the gay dolphin. Her, I forget her uh, name, though. She told it's, us uh, no, it's the owner of the gay dolphin, and her husband uh, – her, her last name is Plyler. I remember that. is Mr. Plyler. Michelle? Was it Michelle? I don't know. Mr. Plyler owned uh, the gay dolphin, and that was his wife and, like, his niece and nephew and stopped us there in the alleyway as we were leaving. And, and I, you know, I, I have gone back and forth with her on Instagram. Because uh, the gay dolphin, and for folks who don't know, the gay dolphin's been around since the 1940s, and it is like the old school Myrtle Beach souvenir store. Like if you want a shark's tooth necklace, or you want a snow globe, or you want like uh, an alligator head, or you want an ugly T-shirt or a good-looking T-shirt, that, that's the place to go. Wall art, I mean anything you want, pop guns, it don't matter. They got it all at the gate often. And I, I, when the, again, going back to the Myrtle Beach Bowl announcement in Coastal Carolina, I kept tweeting and on Instagram, I kept going back, back to the, the gate often. And, and she was the one that was responding to me. And yeah, she wants to hook us up with some stuff. So in case you ever wanted a t shirt from the gate often, and I bought them before, I think we might be getting some. Well, I said to, it was funny. I, I, I said to her, we're coming back. I'm bringing my family down there in June for a country music festival. So uh, I'm fully expecting like the, the red carpet rollout uh, down there on the strand. But, uh, and then, so after that, uh, we go to the game and I was just completely floored with some of the content that we got into a bowl broadcast. Like, I just looked at McGee during the during the the open of the show, and I'm like, we're on ESPN, yeah, broadcasting a bowl game. We never would have dreamed that in a hundred million years, yeah, as kids. No, it, it was unbelievable. And you know me, I'm a I'm a bowl game junkie. Like I collect bowl games. We we, we tried to, or these guys that were at the game, and we we try to work them into the broadcast. We used to have time. But for like 40 years now, they've gone to a different bowl game every year. And so when the World Beach Bowl was the new one, this is the one they chose to go to. So I, I somewhere have a list because we used to go to bowl games with dad, you know, over the holidays when he was officiating. And I have a list somewhere, like a checklist. And, uh, and I was so pumped. And for Christmas, I mean, my brother and I used to go to bowl games with dad. And we would get the tackiest looking like game T-shirt. You know, it's got the helmets and the lightning and the bowl game logo and all that stuff. And my brother, uh, hopefully he doesn't listen to this before Christmas Day, but that's what he's going to be getting for Christmas. He's going to get him a Myrtle Beach Bowl with the, you know, with the like the Monday Night Football looking clashing helmets and the green lightning coming off the Mean Green helmet and all that stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, there you go. I will be wearing the inaugural Myrtle Beach Bowl airbrush tee on Marty and McGee again. Oh, of course, you can of count course. on it, America. Oh, yeah. Um, also want to want to shout out one more person before we move on to our 
college football playoff thoughts. Uh, one of the reports I did during the game was on the plunger. And if y'all don't know the story about the plunger, the App State program has a spray-painted gold plunger from Dollar General on their sideline. And it's really funny because one of the defensive linemen does not say, bow your backs, buckle up tight. He says, get the plunger. It's about to get nasty. <laughs> get the Clorox. Get the pine saw. We're about to get dirty. Uh, and uh, I did that report, and I 100% meant to shout out Ethan Joyce, who is a writer and covers App State sports for the Winston-Salem Journal. Yep. And I, I think when I was doing that report, something – Cam – I think uh, Cam Peoples is still running. I mean, I think I think he's Appalachian State's uh, running back, number six. He ran for 319 yards and five touchdowns in the Myrtle Beach. But I think yeah, he's at, still running. And at one point in the game, every time you tried to start telling a story – Yeah. Like, like there were like three straight times you, you – I could feel you settling in for – you know, guys – you know, and I can feel the booth like grabbing a hamburger because they, they know you're about to go into a story and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, you know, I do Arnett Marty McGee. Y'all can just settle in now, go get you something to eat, go to the bathroom, whatever. Marty's telling a story. And you and guys, it's always and every time you did it, that kid would break a 65 yard touchdown run, like three straight times. It was so and I, I had I'll, to do the play. And he's was, gone he's going to the I house again. I'm on the other sideline just dying. So anyway, that's I I, I got that report uh, from the university. But uh, from Ethan, it was Ethan's story that, that really laid out the details for me uh, that, that old Caleb Sperlin had gone down to the Dollar General store and bought a plunger, and then they spray-painted it gold, and, uh, and it became their sideline thing. And one other thing, too, we were talking about the turnover cloak for Coastal Carolina during the game. Yep. Do you know that Chad Stagg's wife, Kelly, the defensive coordinator's wife, she made the turnover cloak. She sewed it. I was just, uh, I was just texting with Coach Staggs. I was, I told him I was looking for you guys. They're on quarantine because he's one of the guys that was on the list while they couldn't play the Sun Belt Championship yep. game. And uh, I did not know that. Why? You know, I got in trouble because there's the and the Coastal Carolina people are could not be more welcoming of Marty McGee. And so no they doubt. were so excited when you were there, and then I was there for the BYU game. And we were on uh, – we said this to Jamie Chadwell, the head coach, when we interviewed him in the third quarter of the Beach Bowl, which is we get, we didn't jump on the Coastal Carolina bandwagon. We were we the drove Coastal Carolina bandwagon but back in August. It was September. But, yeah, so I I saw that cloak. I'm like, it's before the game. It's on this, like, plat stand, and it's got, like, a sword in it and the whole thing. And, you know, medieval times, the restaurant is literally – you drive past it to get to the Coastal Carolina campus if you're coming from the beach. And so I thought, they just stole this thing. I started to pick that thing up, and there were two uh, young women on the staff who uh, were on the training staff, but also I think in charge of help set up the sideline. And, um, and I thought one of them was going to take one of those swords and cut me down. like Obi-Wan Jam it right Kenobi. through your gizzard. Like, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm going to leave this alone. Um, anyway, I thought that was awesome that, that Kelly made that, made that turnover close. It's amazing. And, she also made me some cookies, so I'm yeah. really appreciative of her uh, amazing baking skills. Yeah, uh, but just what been, an amazing I've never been experience. Been a game where, where people just hand you stuff, and but because I was as Marty McGee, because in you in particular, before the game, this guy walks up. Hey man, uh, you got a couple T-shirts for y'all here, and uh, and these cookies that the coach's wife made. Could you give these? I'm like, hey, she made us cookies, and I looked at the Tupperware, and it was, it was a note written on the top specifically to you. I'm like, all right, fine. I did take two. You were That's killing me during the game, man. You were ki- you made me laugh out loud when you were like, let me tell you all the difference between me and Marty. Yep. When they score a touchdown on my sideline, they run right by me. When they right. score a touchdown on Marty's sideline, they pose for a picture. I looked up at the, at the big screen, and App State had scored. I looked up at the big screen, and they were all posing to take this picture. <laughs> and and the, way it, I, was, the way it was framed up, it looked like you – they were all posing, and you were getting your phone out. I'm like, are they posing for him? So funny. Uh, and there's a great photograph that was taken by the Appalachian State staff photographer. Hold on. I want to get her name. It's Katie Dornauer, and she is the app – her thing is she works for App State football. She's the Appalachian State commercial photographer, and, uh, and she's from Boone, of course. 
and the photograph is absolutely spectacular. I was going to say on Twitter, I know you didn't see it because you never are on there, but there was a thing that was going viral about tweet a photo with you and somebody slightly more famous than you. And, I've seen that trend. And so McGee posted a photo of, of you and him together. At the <laughs> oh, God. I didn't see that. That's hilarious. That's it's hilarious. us on the red was carpet. It? Was it from the Myrtle Beach Bowl? Where no, no. It's 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 you, and me, you, you and me on the red carpet like a couple of stooges. Where oh. we did our red carpet pose holding the I miss the red carpet this year, yeah, man. I love doing that assignment. We're yep. so fortunate to get to do that one, too. I don't know if we've ever told the shoe boots or the, uh, the, the wheel boot story on the Marty Smith's America podcast. Why don't you no. tell that story real quick? It's a so, funny ass story. So it was a year ago, the last couple of years prior to this one, we were, we were, they asked us to do the red carpet before and after the college football awards down at the college football hall of fame in Atlanta. It's, it's one of my favorite gigs of the year. Everything and, but the Heisman, they give yeah, away, right. they, they award, not give the away. They award the everything Maxwell but and everything else. Sorry. And so we, we, and of course this year they haven't given out any awards yet because the season just ended. But we, anyhow, so we're we, we decided, even though the show was going to end like we were going to drive back to Charlotte, and this is what you and I do: we make the bonsai run back to Charlotte. And so I, and my my brain told me during the ceremony when we're doing nothing, you should go out there, and re up on the parking deck like that you're in or the parking lot. I'm like, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So we get out there and we grab the stuff and we run straight to the truck and throw it in the truck. And there's a boot, like a mini boot on one of them yellow boots, both left side tires. So now we're calling the number and we sit there and wait and it's cold and rainy and it's a muddy parking lot and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and our temperatures are rising and it's just tick tock. We're going to get home at Charlotte two or three o'clock in the morning now. And that old boy drove up in a busted like Dotson pickup truck and he's got a, a, a 50 of those boots in the back and he's being a real jerk to me and he gets out and I can't remember how much it costs, but he takes uh. one boot off and I'm standing in the rain. He takes another boot off. And as he's, as he picks up that last boot, he, I open the door and he's kind of like waiting on a tip or something. It was weird. And I was like, we got to go. I, I go to he get in the shove that tip I, where the sun don't shine. I go to get in the truck and he looks in the door. And you're sitting in the sitting shotgun, like in your phone. And he says to me, he goes, Hey man, is that Marty? And I go, yeah. And he goes, can I, can I meet him? I go, hell no. And I shut the door <laughs> and we, we peeled out of that parking lot. I mean, spraying it over they have rooster tail of mud. I was like, what are you talking about? I turned to McGee. I said, what the hell was that? He goes, <laughs> Then he told me that story he just told y'all, and I couldn't breathe for five minutes. Uh, I was it was peeing my britches. Is that Marty? Can I meet him? No. No, hell no. You just had them boots on my truck. Yeah, what are you yeah, talking you, What about? you should have said is, yeah, you can meet him if you don't take his 50 bucks I'm about to have to pay you. Yeah, it was too late. We were in the wind, son. Gone. Then we went down to QT and got one of them blood congealers and made our way up to the Queen City. Yeah, it's all the caffeine I needed, though. Got me all the way to the North Carolina state line. What an amazing experience at the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Uh, I hope we get to do that again. I'm so grateful for the response. I mean, you know, it's one thing about our business is in a lot of ways, it's like it's hard to cut through. Yeah. And and going back and looking through Twitter, which admittedly I actually did after the game once I got home around midnight, to see the response, just to see what people thought. And I was so grateful for all of the Appalachian State fans and North Texas fans and, and our colleagues. So many of our colleagues uh, and, and, and fellow writers and broadcasters had such awesome things to say, and I'm really appreciative of that. And I do hope we get to do it again. I think we will. I mean, yeah, I hope so. I can't imagine how – Jimmy Pitaro can't look at that and go, holy cow, we got to oh, yeah. have those two on the Sugar Bowl. Well, I think that I think that probably the, the real tragedy here is that uh, that didn't happen prior to the big, you know, Disney stockholders, the big shareholders presentation oh, last it, week. Because I, th- I think it definitely would have used our open for the game uh, to, to kick that. They off. would have just opened the stockholder meeting with our yeah. open. Yeah, it just, I, we just watch those I numbers. Have a question go up. for you guys: How much was your phone blowing up after the official made the first announcement for the penalty for uh, 
Appalachia State. All right, Mine so, went yeah. ballistic. So here's how this works. We have a little – you have your microphone, right, on the sideline, and we both have microphone issues, and there's a little button, talkback button, and you push that button, and you, and the only person that can hear you are the people in the production truck, the producer. And so if you have something you need to say or pitch or I can add to this story that they're telling from the booth or whatever or something happens, I have information on this guy, you click that button and you say, you know, I can add here. And the only people that could hear either one of us when we pushed that button was Marty could hear me and I could hear Marty and the producer Rick could hear us in the truck. And as soon as that guy – well, by the way, I thought they called a great game because because that with all the fighting and everything, that's a super, super difficult game for officials. Agreed. But as soon as he's mispronounced Appalachian State, Marty and I both on this buttons. We can add. We can add. We can add here. We can add here. We can add here. <laughs> and, and they let us – Marty, you called him out later in the game, and he's Stanford Steve's boy. Like he's uh, – that official's like Stanford Steve's like best friend from high school and his, his uh, high school quarterback and all that. So we already had info on the guy, so we didn't feel bad about calling him out. Uh, they did an amazing job because that thing could have gotten out of hand fast. Yep. Yep. And it was about to. I mean, it was getting it was getting real chippy. And it was funny to be over on the – I don't know what, what Seth was doing over on your sideline, but on mine, Sean Clark was losing his mind. Oh, no. He no, was Seth. pulling that mask down, and he was yelling a whole lot of words at his players to stop being – he called it stupid football to me no, at halftime. Seth he Luttrell. goes, we got to stop playing stupid, selfish football. Yeah. Yeah, the coach, Seth Luttrell, the coach, head coach of, of North Texas, who, by the way, fans of a certain age will remember him when he played at Oklahoma. He literally – I've never seen a jawline like that guy. Like, yeah, that's, a, that's a comic book hero jawline that man has. But, yeah, uh, all he said to me when he came out for the second half was, I said, do you have anything you need to say to them at halftime about what all happened? He goes, I had a lot of things I need to say to them. And just stared at me. I was like, <laughs> okay, got it, coach. Stupid was the word he used, too. Um. But yeah, it was just uh, it was just an awesome experience. I mean, I just I loved everything about it, and I do hope we get to do it again. Uh, so now, uh, right before I went to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, I was in Clemson for the uh, college football playoff selection show. You covered the ACC championship game for dot com, and I feel like uh, I feel like they got it right. I, I just I feel like the committee got the teams right. So, but ultimately, I think when you look at bodies of work throughout an entire season, Alabama's the best team in America. Clemson is extremely close to that. They lost one game in overtime by a touchdown to a, a really good team without their starting quarterback, who's probably the best player in the country, and three of their linebackers. So Obviously, they're and they won the ACC. They blew in Notre Dame out in the ACC championship. They're obviously in Ohio State. Um, I felt they, I felt like they looked pretty pedestrian in the Big Ten championship game. Northwestern's a good football team. Um, but Ohio State with, uh, you know, with their set, what's are they seven and oh now, Travis, or six and oh? They're seven and oh, they're six, six and oh, they're six and oh now, right? Um, I do believe – I think that they belonged. And I say that also with the opinion that they didn't play enough games. Um, now, granted, contextually, that ain't their fault. Their commissioner made the decision that he made to push the season, push the season, push the season. And I think – I'll tell you what to me is a major factor that pushes Ohio State over the line. All right, they are undefeated. They beat every team that they played. But also, I'm of the mind that the only reason they got to play, or not, maybe not the only reason, but one of the big reasons that they got to play is Ryan Day and Justin Fields. I think that their constant, passionate lobbying let us play. I think that had a major impact on the fact that they got to. What are your thoughts? No, I, I think you're right. And and I and I, I I agree that I believe that the four best teams are in, but I also, and Travis, just mute me if you want to. But I also understand the argument from those who think they shouldn't be there. So because do I. What what I saw, what we saw firsthand. So there's 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 North Texas, right? And with the exception of maybe Charlotte, 
the Charlotte 49ers, I don't think any team in the country had a more difficult time to play as many games as they did and have been doing it since the end of August. And so, and, and, and we, you and I have had this conversation with Coastal. We had this conversation with that. I think there is a frustration in college football about the fact that the Big Ten didn't play that many games. And, and, there, and, and, all right, you know, if you really wanted to do this like the rest of us, then you should have jumped in. And that's not Ohio State's fault. But I'm saying and – and I think Ohio State should be in the playoff. But I'm saying I get why Brian Kelly and I get why um, Jimbo Fisher and I get why – I mean, at, at the ACC championship game, I had Debo Sweeney and, and uh, Brian Kelly before the game and after the game it, trying to explain why they – you know, I don't know that Ohio State deserves to be there. And it was just and, – and, and their, their comments were pointed at the entire conference. And so I, I get why – there's frustration on that side because everyone who has been trucking it since particularly the non-power five schools that have been trucking it since August and have been playing since Labor Day weekend as originally scheduled. I get why they're frustrated by that. Um, but that being said, Ohio State, and I also get people's frustration about we're getting the same teams and it's big brand names or whatever else. Listen, crew better. Yeah. And if, but if you took the college football playoff format and you dropped it into 20 years ago, it wouldn't have been Clemson and Alabama. Everybody would have been complaining about the fact that it was Florida every year and USC every year. And yeah, and so, and if you've taken it 30 or 40 years ago, they've been complaining it was Penn State every year and it was Alabama every year. Miami. Yeah. But, but, but in 151 seasons of college football, there are a handful of programs that have always been good and they're always going to be good. And so I, I get where people are frustrated with the teams now, but you know, this format would have produced the exact same result. And I think part of it too is the bowl thing was such a disaster with, and listen, I, I love the SEC, but three and four win teams signing on to do bowl games. And a lot of them are canceling now, but I get why an army's sitting at home for the Not longest time and coastal's playing in a cure bowl and BYU's already played in their bowl game and, and obliterated UCF by the way. And so I just think I get where the frustration is that the entire everybody's starting to suddenly realize that the system is rigged in favor of the power five. Really? Yeah. You just I'll tell you what I wish Uh, again. So and and then and then let's just go ahead and close out the the college football playoff chatter. Uh, I think even though Notre Dame got boat raced by Clemson, I think that they belong to Um, I think that, that they're one of the best four teams. I would love to see Texas A&M play against those last two teams. I'd right. love to see a Texas A&M-Ohio State game. I'd love to see a Texas A&M. Travis is over there rolling his eyes. Dude, if you don't think Texas A&M can play with y'all, you're sorely mistaken. So Sorely mistaken. If A&M's reason for being in Ohio State is the game's played, I got no argument. You can't argue against it. But I honestly believe that Ohio State is – by far better than AM. Okay, that's fair. Uh, not, what uh, opponent no, did by, you by, play? No, by far, the words by far come from your heart and not from the chart because. But I uh, haven't seen uh, anything from them lately that has wowed me about what they're doing. When they're struggling against the teams that they're playing, that's why I think that Ohio State is. I don't, by far I don't, I don't care. You know, I've seen so many people say, oh, they beat Vandy by this much. They only beat UT by this much. I understand. The Southeastern Conference is a bear. And to play 10 games in that league is rowdy. Now, I know Vandy's horrible, okay? Horrible. But it doesn't change the fact that the SEC is rough, and you can't tell me that the Big Ten is. You can't. But I can tell you that Ohio State has beaten Northwestern and Indiana – could hang with any of those SEC teams that Texas A&M was playing against. Okay. And they have those they? over them. I know. Yeah. I, I think Indiana's really, really good. I think Northwestern's really good. Um, but, again, uh, but I, just, I would love – I get, I get the argument because the sample size is so small. But it's 2020, yeah. and it is what it is. And, you know, if Ohio State takes care of business, then, you know, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Because if they take care of business in the semifinal, it's, well, they're not as tired. They didn't play as many games. I mean, this no one's going to be happy uh, with the outcome. And quite honestly, I think Ohio State fans like it that way. You do. Yeah. You, totally like, you, I, totally, you totally like it when it's the rest of the world against you. So this all 
this all people in Columbus are totally they're, they're mainlining this right now. Yeah, all you have to do is look at that video that one of the Ohio State players put on the internet uh, of Ryan Day's response, which I'm sure went over like a fart in church within the um, Woody Hayes complex. Yeah, um, and there's a big there's a big sign by the way in the team meeting room that says "Don't do that." For those that are unsure, Demario McCall, one of the backup running backs, was live streaming Ryan Day's victory speech to the team where he says, one shot against Notre Dame, Clemson, Bama, I like our effing chances. Yeah. yeah. Great. And he what should. Is, like, I love that Ryan Day said that. But That's it's awesome. not, it's not for public consumption. No, but there, there's is, literally, a big, literally a big sign over the door. The door that Ryan Day walks through to come into the meeting room there's literally a sign over the door that says, you know, what, what we say in here stays in here. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I loved his messaging. I'm yeah. all in on the messaging. That's what you want. That's how you want to feel. That's what you want to convey to your team, that you are the best team in the country and you can beat the best teams in the country uh, on any given, in any given moment, anybody, anytime, anywhere. That's the message uh, with a whole bunch of colorful language. Uh, I just can't understand – and I'm not 19 anymore, but that's just – I don't get it. I don't understand why you would think that it's okay to put that on live stream or whatever. Because you, you put everything right on there. it. You said, yeah. you said you're not 19. That right there is – No, you put everything on it. Every, yeah. Everything you do, everything you do is, is out there. And it's just – but anyhow, it's – but yeah, listen, if Iowa State takes care of business, they'll shut everybody up. Yeah. And, um, and if they don't, uh, everybody will say, we told you so. And, again, I really believe that – Travis, Ohio State, their crowd, uh, I think they're the Ohio State people really kind of dig that. They I also to. truly believe that they, they, they belong. Like, they, if yeah. I was well, me too. on it, me if too. I was but on I get, that committee, but I get they why. would be in my, right. my four. Yep. I'm just saying I would love to see A&M play against those teams so we could see how good they really are. I would love to see Georgia right now with JT Daniels. They're a different football team. Yep. They can actually push the football down the field. And so I would love to see that. There's a lot I would love to see, but I'm not going to get to because that's just not the way it works. And I think Jimbo Fisher has every right to be angry, Kellen Mond. Um, but ultimately, what the one that disappointed me the most was the Liberty Coastal matchup. Yep. I understand why that matchup is happening on December 26th. I can't wait to watch that game. But I would love to have seen Cincinnati and Coastal yeah. go at each other and us branded as the G5 National Championship. 100%. Uh, it would have been a hell of a game. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and two guys that are constantly going to be courted by Power 5 programs in Jamie Chadwell and his staff and in Luke Fickle and his staff and what they've done with those programs. So – uh, I, look, what, I think what Hugh Freeze has done at Liberty tells you all you need to know about what kind of football coach Hugh Freeze is, a guy can coach football. And that's going to be a great game to watch. Yep. But I would love to have just seen Cincy and, and the Chanticleers go at each other, right? Well, yeah, it's just tone deaf. Oh, and listen, I get there's a lot of politics that work on this. I mean, I get that you know, a lot of these bowl games are run by ESPN, uh, including the Mortal Beast Bowl where we just were. But I just – uh, to to you could argue that the best story in college football this year was Coastal Carolina, and I think you could argue that very easily. And to take the best story in college football, a story that got game day to campus, a story that gave us, in my opinion, the best game of the year, that BYU game, um, to take that story and to bury it um, at noon on December 26th against a three-loss team that they were originally scheduled to play anyway, no offense to Liberty. I just, um, I just think you're uh, storytelling wise. I just think it's a huge mistake. But uh, and, and 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 eyeballs, yeah. I, just the whole world would watch that game, yeah. yeah. Because it truly would be who's the king of the G five. Yeah. Plus, I just wanted to see like Teddy Gallagher and those guys, like you know, in HD and prime time on yeah, New Year's too. night. <laughs> me too. Speaking Same. of coastal. Chadwell kind of didn't answer the mullet question when you guys talked to him yet. We've got proof yeah. that he said he's grown no, that mullet out. There wasn't a question asked. 
I didn't ask a question. I reminded him that yeah. he told us that yeah. and that we fully expect him to follow through on his, his statement. Right. Um, I don't think he's going to based on the look on his face when he was like, USOB, you actually brought that up on national TV. Yeah, it was went, awesome. I went and grabbed the evidence and put it out on Twitter shortly after, too, just to remind. Uh, and some of their staff have liked that tweet since. Nope. So hopefully they'll put some pressure on him because we need my, to see him in a mullet. My high school football coach, the great Steve Ragsdale, Virginia high school league legend, winner of many state titles with the Spartans, always told us never compare scores. Just because that team beat that team and you beat that team doesn't mean you can beat that other team. You got to go prove it on the field. However, what I saw BYU's offense do in their bowl game further just tells you how good Coastal's D is. Yeah. And they did it. Think about that. They prepared for the game in a couple days. Yeah. And we're outmatched. Like, Like across the board, that flip chart on both sides of the football in the trenches, they were so outmatched size-wise. But, you know, it's – Jamie Chow will talk all day about, you know, angles, man. I always go back to Johnny Majors, who uh, coached at Tennessee forever, Coastal Hall of Famer. We lost him this year. And Coach Majors always preached about leverage. You can be shorter and you can be smaller and you can be slower. But if you know where to hit the guy, you can take him down. And he can't take you down. And that's what Jamie Chow was. That's exactly what he uh, – that's his philosophy, man. Well, how about this? So, Brian Quigley, who you guys are aware of from Coastal Carolina, I believe he's one of the ones that did the shirts, tweeted out during the BYU game, two opponents of Coastal Carolina have played bowl games, BYU and App State, that is. So far through six quarters, they have scored a combined 91 points. In eight quarters against Coastal, those two teams combined for 40. Yep. Yeah. I thought about yeah. that last night. Yeah. And and that's just the truth. You know, I, I'll i also say this um, – Louisiana's a, a dang good football team too with with what Billy Napier has done down there and I uh I'm just impressed as hell with the fun bill I just am and I think that they have they have several really good teams and I know it was a down year for app and and you know coach Clark has told me countless times this season that they're like the Alabama of the G5. They are. They, the expectation is championships, and not only is the expectation championships, it's dominant championships. If you don't win by – these are Coach Clark's words. Right. If you don't win by 30 points a night, App State fans want to know why. No. They hey. want answers about why. Well, and you know this. There's a whole branch of my family. My Uncle Danny – you know, the State Farm King of Eastern North Carolina, you know, he's a big-time App State guy who broke his heart. He couldn't be at the bowl game. He's never missed an App State bowl game. But I'm getting texts on the sideline during the game from my uncle and, and his kids, my cousins, going, no, explain to us what that personal foul was. And that personal – and I've texted back, guys, I'm doing the game. Like, you know, I'll, we could talk about this tomorrow. But that's the point is that's how passionate were. And that's a game they were leading at the point, I think, like about three touchdowns. So it's just, no, they their expectation levels through the roof. That's why, quite frankly, I worried about them when they made the jump to FBS because the ceiling for them was always going to be not national championships. And they were used mm-hmm. to winning national championships, you know, at, the, at what we used to call one double A. But uh, but no, they've settled in. But they're, you know, they see this year as a crushing disappointment. <laughs> and the reality is you know, they finished the year nine and three and, and I think still have a chance to crack the top 25 for the, for all the bowl games. Are away. Speaking of app state, uh, I got to shout out my boy, Tanner Wilson. All right. He's a junior quarterback there for app and I'm standing on the sideline during the Myrtle beach bowl games getting out of hand apps running it up pretty good. And I don't mean running up the score because they were running the football to score all these touchdowns. It's just the way the game unfolded. And Tanner walks over to me, and he goes, hey, man. I said, what's going on, dude? Merry Christmas. He goes, hey, my family owns a farm. I said, well, that's awesome. What kind of farm y'all got? So he starts kind of telling me about the farm. He goes, hey, we, my, we, we made these hats, and I, I brought you a hat. And I said, you did? Would you, he said, would you like to have the hat? I said, well, hell yeah, I'd like to have the hat. So Tanner brings me the Wilson Family Farm trucker lid 
that has a huge W on it, and it says it's gray and navy blue, and it's in snow. It has Snow Camp, North Carolina, embroidered yep. on the side. He's from Snow Camp. Snow Camp, snow by camp. God. And so it said his hometown says Reedsville on his bio, but Snow yeah. Camp. No, Snow Camp. And on the hat is a big W, and it says Wilson Farm. And there's uh, an embroidered cow and an embroidered pig. Yeah. And Tanner, you're the man. Thank you for the gift. I'm going to wear this hat all the time. Yeah. That, I love I, it. Travis, I've never been to something where people just kept handing us stuff. Like, like I look at like, <laughs> and I, I halfway through the second quarter, I hear Ryan, 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 Ryan. And I turned around looking, it was a couple people from the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, the minor league baseball team there in Myrtle Beach. And they said, hey, thank you for all you've done for minor league baseball. And they threw down like four hats. And this, we had coaches' wives giving us cookies. Did anybody I, offer you a drink? I literally, no. I literally left the game with like four T-shirts and some cookies and four hats and a shark's tooth necklace. And I, I like, gave every T-shirt I had got away except for the airbrushed one. Yeah. The, oh, hat, yeah. the hat you have there, Marty, that's a good-looking hat. They need to – I mean, it's a sweet a lid. I know. I, I said there's a website. handed it to – we took a picture together. I got to get uh, – I got to get the App State staff to send me the picture of Tanner and me so that I can put it on the tweeter machine. But I don't have it with me, but the, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans gave me a hat that because they're at the beach, it's like a pelican skull and crossbones. So it's that's like a – awesome. Pelican pirate hat. So the next time, so after football's over and we start doing Marty and McGee radio on TV again, I'm going to wear my Wilson Farm hat, and you're going to yeah. have to wear your cross, uh, skull and crossbones Pelicans hat. Yeah. So this is the most – how about this? This is the text I just got from our girl Kelsey Cohen who runs – she's a logistical wonder kind. We have this group of ladies, okay? Amanda Braunlich, Kelsey Cohen, of course, Lindsay Lloyd – who does all the game day logistics, Aaron Knight, yeah. uh, Molly Nelson, uh, Becca Preston, all of these ladies, uh, Dawn Wind, they're all charged with keeping our lives straight so that we're in the right places at the right time. So Kelsey just sends me a text right now while we're taping. Hey, are you good on makeup for the Rose Bowl? There won't be a makeup artist on site, so you're going to have to bring your own. Girl, I, I got it. I've been, yeah. I got that part handled. Yeah. I was sent, I guess it was probably Kelsey who sent it to me, or Aaron, one of the, the ladies who handles all the SEC Network stuff. They sent McGee and me this unbelievable Ziploc bag full of makeup at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. I'm still using it. Yeah, me too. They had a little brush. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I use I'm it every live shot I do. I'm terrified. I'm, so I'm terrified to use any makeup they don't send because I don't want the color to be wrong. Well, and me me end up looking like a clown, like a literal clown. And so, uh, yeah, I just I'm with you. There was a just, hilarious moment where uh, I was at Clemson all week leading up to the ACC championship. I don't remember which day it was, but I was getting ready to do the six o'clock Sports Center, and we're in the break getting ready to go live. And Nagandi's my homie. Kevin Nagandi comes on. He's like, what's up, bro? Hey, you look great, whatever. I said, thanks, dude. He goes, man, look at that bronze tan. You Look at that hair. He's like, you look awesome. I said, man, that ain't a tan. That's makeup. All right, before we get out of here, there's one more thing as we lead into Christmas that has just come to my attention is this Richard Petty whiskey. How do you not know about this? It's called Whiskey 43. Yeah. And I had, it's aged two, two years. It's 80 proof. Yeah. It's the coolest looking bottle ever. I've never known how did what do you mean? How was I unaware of this? I had no idea. Let me it's, read about it. It's been around like five years. I've got I've, I, I I think I have two bottles of it in the house. I've so never here's been more what, disappointed in you, Marty. Like what, out of all the things, liquor and racing, and you're not aware of it. Right. I I, I failed miserably. My, our boy Jamal Brown, who used to be one of our producers for Sports Center, went around all over the place, NASCAR circuit with McGee and me back in the day. He sends me a picture. He's in the whiskey shop, I guess. Sends me a picture. Here's what it says when I click on the About Whiskey 43 link. The sensory notes are, the nose says it's reminiscent of a crisp fall race day morning. <laughs> the nose leads with distinctive vanilla, fresh cut oak, and mountain spices. 
Yeah. The taste says buttery spice, vanilla, fresh harvest with hints of ginger, cinnamon, and balanced with a light oak finish. The finish says it's smooth, warm, and tingling like a summer's drive on a newly discovered country road. Wow. The mash bill is 66% corn, 20% barley, and 14% rye. Dude, I got to get me some King Richard Petty whiskey. I can't believe you don't know about this. No, dude, like, I got to have that. Yeah, I mean, it's it, well, and this is, if, and if you know your, your Petty family history, which, as you know about me, I do. Yep. Um, you know, his mother was a teetotaler. And so for years, uh, when, when Richard Petty's team, they wouldn't run the, the Budweiser pole sticker on their car. Uh, he, his car wouldn't participate in the Bud shootout or Bush Clash, whatever you want to call it, because it just – but then when his mother passed away, that changed. But, the, uh, but, but, but hard liquor was never – like his thing, but here's the thing about Lee Petty, his father. It's not really documented anywhere, and it's certainly not written in any official Petty family history anywhere that Lee Petty ran shine like everyone else around him uh, of the Pioneer Star. He totally did. Like he had a trucking business. He would awesome. with his with his brother Julian, and so uh, they absolutely hauled things around. And so the, so yes, they hauled some, some whiskey too. I'm fascinated. So fascinated by the whiskey running culture. Yeah. Junior Johnson. Yeah. Harry Gant and all these dudes out in the North Carolina Hills, uh, who ran moonshine and, you know, founded NASCAR. Right. Yeah. And so, the whole idea of it just – I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I yeah. do. I just – I think it's the coolest damn thing in the world that these guys became world-class wheelmen by outrunning the revenueers. Yeah. And, it, I, and so the argument would always be, well, my car is faster than your car and your car is faster than my – And it, all right, well, then let's settle this. And Lee let's Petty – make a NASCAR. Lee Petty used to – shake down his Daytona 500 car by running it around on the dirt roads around the house in level cross North Carolina. And it's the coolest thing of all time, but just, but just it, it, what, what's amazing is you and I've had these, have these amazing careers, but getting to know junior Johnson and, and obviously my, my mentor and hero was Tom Higgins, the greatest NASCAR rider that ever lived and him telling me the stories about Curtis Turner. And, and, you know, we just, uh, you know, I think about that, that great book that uh, Bob Elson wrote years ago about Curtis Turner and running with the devil and being able to go down to Dawsonville where Chase Elliott still lives and Lloyd C. And all these guys that used to – they were moonshine runners. Copperhead Road runs through there. I mean, I it's, so just, wish, it's just the craziest thing. I so wish that when NASCAR – started to really expand beyond the Southeast that they would have embraced that culture What the complete opposite direction. I know if, if they, I would, it's just so awesome. I wish that they just not only would have embraced it, but marketed the hell out of it. I used to, my job at NASCAR at NASCAR media group, my job was to write all the scripts for all the shows and the movies and, whatever else. And I would write the proposals that we would take to like cable networks. Hey, we should do a show about so-and-so on history channel. We should do a show about so-and-so on A&E. And there was a group that used to take everything I wrote and they would, with a red marker and any mention of moonshine, they would literally cross it off, just yeah. scratch it out, take that out of there. And it was, it was like that for years. And now when you go to the NASCAR hall of fame and you go to the top floor, which is, which is, the, which is the main reason to go, the first thing you see when you hit the top of the stairs is a still built by Junior Johnson for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. They tried to build it themselves based on his instructions, and they said, we can't get this thing to work. And he drove down from Wilkesboro in his overalls and got behind the glass and built that still for him. So that thing would fire right up. So they embraced it, but unfortunately, they ran off a lot of people. But anyway, Richard Petty Whiskey, I'm going to get me some of that. 
That's I'm going to have Christmas some tonight to myself. I've got two bottles of it in the house. They, they did a special edition when the King turned 80 and it's like this tall, skinny bottle. And, uh, I think, uh, in honor of the cool, two coolest cats in the world, Richard Petty and Santa Claus, I might drink that tomorrow night. You absolutely should. And, uh, on that note, thank you for joining me this week, Garrett chief. And yeah, man. This is really our only Marty and McGee of the week. Our TV show's over for this season, and yep. our radio show, we're going to take the 26th off because yep. of Yuletide Joy. Yes. And uh, I enjoyed breaking it all down with you. Um, thank you guys for listening. Have an amazing Christmas. Uh, enjoy one another. Embrace one another. Be grateful for your time together. I know I will. And – I'm so grateful to our law enforcement officials all over the country working hard to keep these communities safe, especially during the holiday season. Thank you to our first responders, firemen, and certainly our military uh, who can't be home for the holiday season, who are elsewhere working so hard and sacrificing so we can be free and enjoy the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. I just love the magic. Um, Y'all be good. We'll try better next time around. This is Marty Smith's America. This is Marty and McGee. This is Travis, who is still giving us the side eye about the Ohio State Buckeyes. And uh, hey, don't uh, be mad. Don't be mad just because they only played six games more than the three of us did. (laughs) Happy holidays. See y'all. Merry Christmas.